Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. So this morning, I want to tell you a Christmas story. And I want to turn your attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Dr. Luke, as we uh, talked about extensively in our series on the Gospels, is the one who gives us the most detailed account of the Christmas story. And we know that most likely his information came from Mary herself. Now that's here in the Christmas story. That's a whole nother level than Linus telling it in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but... Looking at the Gospel of Luke this morning, I'll be reading from two different passages and we'll be walking through this story together. But for now, let's look at, look at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, and then I'm going to drop down to verses 57 through 66. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah. And greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? To me, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. That's pretty cool. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And now, dropping down to verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, his name shall be John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This morning I want to preach to you on this thought, protecting purpose, a message from John's mom. Lord bless you, you can be seated. No doubt many of us have read this particular part of the Christmas story before. We know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was not the only woman to miraculously conceive in the Christmas story. We know that Mary was overshadowed by God. And that's how she became pregnant. But the miracle of Elizabeth's pregnancy was twofold. Number one, Elizabeth had never been able to have a child before. The Bible says that she was barren. And number two, she was advanced in years. Now that's a nice King James way of saying Elizabeth was old. 
You was way too old to be having a baby. But since Elizabeth is the main character in Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, I want us to consider what the Bible tells us about her. I think it's worth noting this morning that Elizabeth is only mentioned in one chapter of the Bible. And some of you know I love characters like that. That just get about 15 seconds of fame. The Bible tells us what we need to know. And the rest is kind of left to our imagination. But the Bible describes her specifically in verses 5 through 7 of the first chapter in Luke. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So here's what we know about Elizabeth. We know that her husband, Zacharias, was a priest. We know that she was a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother, which means she came from a Levitical line. She came from a ministry family, if you will. They were all priests. We know that Elizabeth was a godly woman. She was righteous. She was blameless, the Bible says, that she kept all of God's commandments. That's quite a compliment coming from Scripture. But she was also barren. Despite her impeccable family background and her blameless life, Elizabeth could not have a child. And in those days, childlessness was not just a misfortune. It was a total disgrace. Because people assume that if you couldn't have a child, that you were cursed because of sin in your life. You had done something wrong, and now as punishment, you would not be able to have a child. But these last two facts are my favorite things about Elizabeth. That Elizabeth, the Bible lets us know, is the first person to call Jesus Lord. That's pretty powerful because the first time she comes in contact with him, he's not even born yet. And Elizabeth knows in that moment whose presence she's standing in. And then finally, Elizabeth is the first person to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Pre-Pentecost, that's powerful stuff. Now, we know that Elizabeth was not the only woman in Scripture to deal with infertility. She's actually in really good company as far as the Bible is concerned because Hannah shared the same problem. And so did Sarah, Abraham's wife. Given what we know about Elizabeth, why would God allow her to be childless for so long and then give her a child in her old age? There had to be some other reason for Elizabeth's barren state of being. Could it be that like Sarah and like Hannah, she remained barren because God had a greater purpose for her at that time in her life? It seems significant to me this morning that the Christmas story begins here. First three verses are an introductory clause by Dr. Luke. And now we are hearing about this elderly couple 
These devout people who served God with all of their hearts, kept all of his commandments, and yet lived with the devastating reality that they could have no children. You see, in pain, there is always purpose. This harsh reality was the beginning of Elizabeth's story, according to the scripture. Her involvement in the greatest event the world would ever know, Jesus' birth, began from a great source of personal pain and heartache. Elizabeth was chosen by God for a great purpose, but pain accompanies purpose. And so the next portion of Luke chapter 1 describes the moment when everything changes for this amazing couple. For those who served in the temple like Zacharias did, it was customary for them to cast lots or draw straws, if you will, to find out who would get the special tasks in the temple. There were actually three tasks that were rotated at random. The first task was uh, who would cleanse the altar and prepare the fire. The second one was who would kill the morning sacrifice, sprinkle the altar, the golden candlestick, and the altar of incense. But that third task, the third lot that was cast on any given day, determined who would come and offer incense. This was the most privileged duty that you could have as a priest. Those who received the first two assignments, they got to do those in the morning and in the evening sacrifices. But this particular thing, the one who came and offered the incense, could only do it one time in the morning. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And this day, the lot would fall to faithful Zacharias. I have a picture of Herod's temple to just kind of give you an idea of where Zacharias worked, so to speak. All right, there it is. He would offer the sacrifice inside that main building. He wasn't in the inner room called the Holy of Holies, but he would have been somewhere in that main building in the middle when he did this job for the temple. So to a godly man like Zacharias, this was probably the biggest moment of his life To offer that incense in the morning was a tremendous privilege that not everybody got to have. And no one got it more than once. This was the highest possible honor that Zacharias could have as a priest. No doubt he imagined one day it might be his turn. What would it be like? Maybe God would speak something special to him in this sacred moment of his life and ministry. But I can guarantee you, based on what we're about to look at together, what actually happened far exceeded any expectation that Zacharias could have had. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit 
even from his mother's womb. Why? None of my children were filled with the Spirit before they were born. That is miraculous. That's all I have to say about that. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the Spirit and power of Elijah. John was going to be a bad dude for the kingdom of God. This is so exciting. To turn their hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Imagine what this would have been like for old Zacharias. The angel just showed up right by that altar. No doubt, Zacharias had his eyes closed tightly in reverent, passionate prayer, taking in this glorious, holy moment in his experience with God. And he opens his eyes, and there is this angel. And it is not this cute, naked baby with wings like we see on greeting cards. I believe this was a manly angel. His name was Gabriel. The Bible says that his natural inclination was to be afraid, which we see that many times in Scripture, that when an angel shows up, whoever the human contact is, is terrified. This is very serious. Something is happening right here. And Gabriel gives Zacharias, no doubt, the greatest news he's ever been given. Zacharias, you're going to have a son. And not just any boy, he's going to be like Elijah. He's going to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming Messiah. But Zacharias did what all of us have done. He wasn't real sure about that. He wanted a little bit more of an explanation. He wanted a little bit more proof. He said, how will I know this to be. It's just too good to be true. I think God missed it. I'm an old man. How am I going to have a son? How is he going to be that powerful? And so Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord to say, what do you mean? How do you doubt that I don't know what I'm talking about? And the Bible says because of Zacharias's unbelief, he was made mute and he was unable to speak. But this did not stop the promise that God gave him in the temple that day. Elizabeth does, in fact, become pregnant. And so now we drop down in the story, and the Bible is specific to let us know that it is in Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy that Gabriel, that same powerful angel, shows up to a young girl named Mary and tells her that her son is going to be the Messiah. In our text, we read the encounter between these two cousins because after Mary gets the news, she goes to see Elizabeth and share what God is doing in her life. And to me, these verses are one of the most amazing exchanges in Scripture. The Bible is so specific to let us know the timing of all of these significant events in the lives of these women in this moment. Upon hearing Mary's voice, just hearing Mary's voice, the Bible says that baby John responded to the presence of Jesus in her womb. Wow. 
Look at it, verse 41. And as a result, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Try to get your head around that. This is not your average, let's celebrate that we're pregnant moment. I don't know about any of you moms out there, but of all the jabs my precious angels gave me when I was pregnant, none of them resulted in a spiritual manifestation. And there were many jabs, let me tell you. I had one child in particular who I won't name, but she is the most affectionate of our crew, I will tell you that. She loved to hold on to my ribs, and that girl would get a death grip on, I don't know if it was a hand or a foot, but I could not stand up straight. It hurt so bad. I, I felt claustrophobic. You girls feel me? I just, oh my God, something is happening to me right now. Make it stop. I should have known that she was going to be a little clingy and a little stubborn. She is both. I did everything the doctor told me to do. I stretched and contorted and moved and pushed and prayed, and she would not be moved. (laughs) See, these men, they have no idea what I'm saying. They have no clue what it's like to have someone living inside of you and growing and moving things around and compromising your ability to function because God knows they could not handle. They could not handle such wonder. The man in my house, if he has a headache, oh my God. What medicine do I take? I think I have a cold. I mean, total shutdown mode. Don't mind me. I just got somebody up in my ribcage. I'm fine. Where's the medicine for that? There's none. Where was I? Yes, John. John the Baptist, leaping and praising God in his mother's womb at the sound of Mary's voice. But Elizabeth intuitively realized the significance of what happened in that moment. John just wasn't doing somersaults because he could. He was responding to something very powerful that was happening in that room. And with great spiritual clarity, Elizabeth recognized that she was being visited by the mother of the Messiah. And she pronounced a blessing on Mary. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, he's not even born yet. I can't even really tell if he's there, but I feel his presence. I feel something divine taking place in our lives, Mary. He is the Lord. Elizabeth's short, inspired speech became a permanent message of truth for all of us to read in the book of Luke. In this moment, Elizabeth became a messenger for the Lord of hosts. And no doubt this whole exchange confirmed in young Mary's mind, I'm not crazy. This is really happening. What Gabriel said is true. For with God, nothing 
shall be impossible. Hallelujah. Elizabeth distinguishes herself in Scripture as the first to call Jesus Lord and one of the first two people, John included, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Finally, the Bible concludes its summary of Elizabeth's story with the dedication of her child of promise. Like Joseph and Mary would, Zacharias and Elizabeth brought John to the temple on the eighth day of his life to be circumcised and hence dedicated to the Lord. Part of that first trip for the baby to the temple was the formal naming of the child. You shall call his name John, Gabriel had said. This baby boy had a name before he was even conceived. It was a command from the Lord. You don't have to worry about considering the name. He has a name already. And yet, as we read earlier in this text, this special moment for sweet Zacharias and Elizabeth is interrupted by great tension among that small crowd gathered around baby John that day. We had a dedication this morning. Imagine the tension for the Golden family if Pastor Tom had gotten up here and named the lad something else. It's their moment as a family. It's your miracle, right? You are presenting your child to the Lord, and Tom just says, I don't like that name. Give him something else. Awkward. That's weird. But it was the custom of the day. It was assumed that since this child was long awaited, he was a firstborn son, he would be named after Zacharias to carry on the family name. It was part of the Jewish tradition. But Elizabeth, like a boss, oh, his name isn't Zacharias. I know that's your expectation in this moment. But that's not his name. And the Bible says that the people present argued with her about it. This sacred moment of dedication. And we are having a family crisis right now over what this baby boy's name is. And poor Zacharias, he can't even talk. (laughs) You got this, Elizabeth. You got this. In my research, I found that it would be the male relatives that would have pressed Elizabeth about this. She's just the mom, you know. She didn't do anything to bring him into the world. It's fine. Whatever you think. In fact, they argue and say, Elizabeth, nobody in your family is named John. Thank you. I had no idea, but thank you. That's a good point. Let's, let's consider that for a moment right now. But Elizabeth stood her ground. She didn't make a fuss. She didn't make a scene. No, his name is John. And so the Bible says that after this ruckus, this arguing, this pleading with Elizabeth, they all look at Zacharias. The Bible says they made signs to him. Now, we don't know if he was deaf and mute, but these people assumed that he was both. (laughs) So they make signs to poor Zacharias, he's just the dad, don't mind him. And the Bible says, he wrote on a tablet, his name is John. 
He backed Elizabeth's play to say, I know you don't understand in this moment. This child has a great purpose on his life. And Gabriel said, his name is John. And it is not a coincidence that at that moment, Zacharias is able to speak. He is healed of his dumbness. I mean that in the biblical sense. Let us move on. But there is much, I believe, for us to gain from Elizabeth's story, her portion of Christmas this morning. Her example is one of faithfulness to God. Her experiences in the context of Scripture are nothing short of awe-inspiring. What an incredible lady. How much did God trust her and acknowledge her significance in all of this? The first to call Jesus Lord. What an honor. The first to be filled with the Spirit. Amazing. She was the mother of one of the greatest men. Jesus said the greatest man that would ever walk the earth, John the Baptist. God trusted her and godly Zacharias with the raising of a man who would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ and prepare the world for his life and his ministry. So many things happening here in Scripture. But for us this morning, loud and clear, I believe the message from John's mom rings true to us into a new year, into a new decade, into a new season, I believe, for the Calvary Church. And it is simply this, that we have been trusted with purpose. Trusted with God's purpose. And through Elizabeth's story, we realize three things about purpose, and I want to consider them briefly with you right now as I conclude. That number one, purpose is accompanied by pain. This great woman of God and her husband suffered a long time. In addition to their own grief and longing for a child, they endured scrutiny and judgment in the context of their culture. In spite of everything they were doing right, they lived a life of heartbreak. And from her story, we see that pain is not a sign that you are doing anything wrong. Many times in Scripture, we see God using pain to make his purpose more clear. Difficulty in our lives is meant to bring clarity through the power of God's help. Because pain prepares us for purpose. I know that there are people in this room right now who have suffered much in this life. I know there are some of us who are more than willing to close the book on 2019. And we are waiting for 2020 with open arms. With high hopes and great faith. But this morning I believe that if we can submit to what God is doing in our lives. Or maybe what he's not doing in our lives. His purpose 
for 2020 is greater than our desire in 2020. The second thing we learn from Elizabeth's story is that purpose is protected by obedience. There are key elements to this story that we cannot relate to in our time and culture. The harshness of the stigma that came with infertility in that time and place, we cannot understand. Because our culture, thankfully, recognizes that with great compassion and sympathy because we understand that that is out of people's hands. Another thing we can't understand is our Western mindset cannot comprehend the incredible pressure that Elizabeth and Zacharias were under in that moment in the temple to name their son Zacharias. You talk about being completely ignored and discredited. Elizabeth was. It was as if she was invisible at that time. Here they are, a great moment of triumph in their lives. And rather than embrace the fact that maybe they are going to do something different, his name can be something else. They feel this incredible pressure and judgment to say, what are you doing? We know this is your first kid, but you don't even know how to name him right. But they understood that the name had significance because John had God's purpose in his life. His name is Zacharias. No, his name is John. We live in America. People name their kids whatever they want. They make up names. They put random consonants together in the name of originality, and, and that's fine. But the people called the baby Zacharias that day because it was their custom. It was their expectation. But Elizabeth knew better. She believed what God had told them. She knew she had to be true to the purpose of God that he had put on John's life. It would have been much easier that day to not say anything and to go home and call him John. She could have done that. We would have justified that if it were us most likely but Elizabeth stood her ground and said his name is John because purpose changes the expectation for our lives normal and what is acceptable is no longer the priority when we have an understanding of what our purpose is because purpose changes our priorities the call of God on John's life was more important than appeasing, appeasing the crowd that day. Elizabeth understood, like other parents before her in Scripture, that her obedience was required to protect John and the call of God on his life. Jochebed protected Moses when she put him in that basket. Hannah honored her promise to the Lord. She brought Samuel to the temple when he was old enough to serve. And Manoah and his wife obeyed the Nazarite vow to the letter as Samson grew up because they understood the importance of their obedience in their son's life. Can I talk to us parents here today for a moment? What will we do in the new year in 2020 to protect God's purpose on our children's lives? What decisions 
are we willing to make? What changes maybe do we need to prayerfully consider? What boundaries do we have in place to make sure that we are obeying the word of God and that we're living it in our home and we're living it as epistles read by our children every day? Elizabeth stayed true to the word of God in the midst of great social pressure because obedience is required to protect God's promises. And then finally, obedience to purpose releases the miraculous. I wondered as I studied and prayed, what could have happened that day if Elizabeth had not spoken up? Would Zacharias have been healed? I don't know that for a fact, but it makes me wonder. Because there's this powerful series of events that happen. Where Elizabeth speaks up, and they ignore her, and so they acknowledge John. And John tells them, no, she's right. His name is John. We're in this together. God's called our family to this purpose. And because of Elizabeth's obedience, because of Zacharias's obedience, he was healed. The miraculous was released in their family through their obedience. What could our faithfulness and our obedience to God release for us in the coming year? What could it do for your family? To follow the Lord more closely? What could it do for your circle of influence? For you to be consecrated to God? What he has told you to do with your life? What you feel burning inside of you? A passion to do something for God. To do something for his church. To contribute in some meaningful way with your life. Whatever God would ask. This morning I... I had prayed for tidings of comfort and joy to give to you. And yesterday, as I wrestled through this message, I told the Lord, you have given me tidings of conviction and challenge. I'm challenged. I'm convicted by Elizabeth and Zacharias' example. I know that we're tired and we're distracted because it's the holidays and God certainly understands that. It's just mayhem and chaos for a couple weeks. And that's wonderful. We embrace that. But the truth is at the center of the Christmas story is complete surrender to the purpose of God. Every major player in the Christmas story lived a life of consecration. Go down the list. Mary, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zacharias, Jesus, John the Baptist. God's plan cost them something. It cost them pain and popularity, comfort, normalcy, if you will. For Christmas is a call to love like Jesus loved when he came. Because God's way of reaching people has always included the sacrifice of his people. I'm going to say that again. That God's way of reaching people has always required the sacrifice of his people to make it happen. 
this morning, there is nothing casual about the purpose of God in our lives. It is a big deal to live and fulfill the word of God. There's a reason why we talk about it so much here. I invite you to stand with me this morning. The Bible says we're called to be saints. We're called to be salt and light. A city that is set on a hill. And I know that many of us, the Lord is already talking to us about 2020. I know that you're probably making resolutions, maybe even some goals as a family or just individual goals. You're going to write those down. But I pray that this morning in the presence of God, we would make some resolutions in the Spirit to be more consecrated than ever before, to make decisions and adjustments in the beginning of the new year that reflect the importance of God's purpose in our lives, in our families, and in this church. Let's make those resolutions at this altar. I'm going to invite you to come. I'd like for everybody to come. I understand that even though the pressure is different, we face pressures in this culture. Pressures to do, to be, to have. Social media helps keep us aware of all the things we're supposed to be doing with our time. The ways our families are supposed to behave. The things we're supposed to have. All this pressure. All the time. The world is a mess. Things are falling apart. All this pressure in our minds. And yet we have this incredible opportunity on the last Sunday of the year. To say, God, I want to be focused on your purpose for my life. Because I know that you've talked to me about it. You're dealing with me right now. You're giving me a sense of direction for myself. I pray for our children to say, you know, I do want change. I want to follow the Lord more closely. I want to lead other people to Christ. And if I believe that that is my purpose under God, then I have to protect that purpose. I have to protect it with my decisions. I have to protect it with my obedience. I have to protect it with my priorities. I want to lead you in a prayer right now of just consecration and devotion. God, we love you. I thank you for your presence that is very clear in this moment. Your word that challenges us through the example of powerful people who made it possible, Lord, for you to come to earth through their sacrifice and their obedience. Even so it is, God, even though it's in a different manner, that is the same way that you come into people's lives. is through the lives of others, through our availability, through our sensitivity to your spirit and your work in our lives. You make yourself available to those who do not know you or to those who cannot find you for themselves. And so, God, I pray for every household Lord, that our lives would be wholly consecrated to you. That if there are things that need to change, God, you would tell us and we would obey. 
that if there are priorities that need shifted around, oh God, help us start this new year differently with your purpose inside our hearts focused on you no matter the pressure that we're dealing with maybe it's pressure that we put on ourselves God to protect your purpose this podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio for more information about the Calvary Church please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.